This episode of Untold Stories is sponsored by Public.com. You'll hear more about them later on in this episode. Another beautiful day. It's the holiday season. Getting, We're getting ready for the holiday season. Happy holidays to everyone. It's the end of the year where we kind of take stock in, in our lives. In our past year, was 2021 a washout for you? How is 2022 going to be for everyone? What is up? I am Charlie Shrem. You are listening and watching another awesome episode of Untold Stories, where together, all of us, we get to dive deep with some of crypto's most influential leaders, miners, founders, CEOs, crypto funds, Bitcoin OGs, everyone to truly understand how this movement came to be, where we are right now, and where we're going. And really, where we're going is the hardest question that that you know, we have right now. And, and people are asking me all the time and here to talk to us about all these different topics is Graham Jenkin. Graham, you're the CEO of CoinList. Uh, CoinList is, is a, a pillar of our whole industry right now. You guys uh, have helped uh, projects um, become where they are today, like Filecoin, Solana, Celo, Algorand, Dapper, Casper, so many projects that you allow, you offer full service exchanges, uh, mobile apps, allowing people to buy, sell, hold, stake, become this huge infrastructure, multi-billion dollar company over the years. We've had you guys on the show before. So it's good to have you all back and, and hear about what's been going on in the space in the last six months. You guys just raised like $100 million a few weeks ago. And you see every day more companies are raising. The amount of venture capital going to the space is immense. But then people are looking at this, maybe we're going into a bear market. But then just this morning, you have Jack Dorsey, the former CEO of Twitter, um, the former CEO of Twitter who now works, well, we don't know what he's doing, but he's probably working full-time on Bitcoin, coming out and saying that the Web3, as we know it today, and all these companies building around it are just kind of owned by the same VCs that owned all the companies before, and it's just a big kind of waste of time. And that threw me off a lot because his biases are his biases, but at the end of the day, you have to be more open and understanding of, of who you're talking to, who your audience is. Graham, thanks for coming on the show. So many things. Thanks for having me, Charlie. Good to be here. Oh, man. How do you feel about a lot of things. Of everything I just said? You know, Jack's uh, comment uh, it definitely resonated with us in thinking about our fundraise uh, you know, months and months ago because, you know, we went, we went down the process of talking to a lot of the you know, the usual suspects in, in crypto VC and beyond crypto VC, uh, thinking that that was kind of the standard way to, to do a fundraise. And, uh, you know, it's like, hey, wait a second, guys, what, why are we doing this? You know, we're a, we're a global platform. We're growing really fast in different regions. We're actually mainly growing outside of the U.S. So why would we talk to the usual suspects in U.S. crypto VC? And not just that, but we have a ton of very active investors, VCs, um, crypto funds on CoinList itself who are active users and excited to work with us. So, so we thought, okay, let's change gears a little bit. Uh, we raised our first tranche with uh, some of the existing insiders, some of the existing investors. But then the second tranche, we ended up raising uh, all from new capital outside of CoinList, uh, outside of the US primarily. Uh, in the regions where we're growing the fastest, in Asia, in Eastern Europe, in the Middle East. And uh, I don't know that we got to 
you know, unlike Sam and FTX, I don't know if we got to 69 investors, but we got up there. I think it may, may have been around 60. Uh, and so we, uh, you know, we kind of changed gears a bit. It's just like, you know, why, why would we sort of go back to the same VCs that, um, you know, everyone else is going to in the U.S. when we're actually growing fastest outside, outside the U.S. So, um, so yeah, so I think what, what Jack was saying definitely resonated with us. And, yeah, I um, think that term VC, I don't even yeah. know how you define it because, I mean, <laughs> right. I, I don't. I don't consider myself a VC, but others would. I manage investments, family office. I'm a member of different funds, GP. So I guess technically, yes. But I feel like calling yourself a VC is like kind of calling yourself an economist. It's just one of those things. It's like, I don't really walk up. You don't really walk up. Yeah, that's a cool way to look at it. Yeah, it's like a different thing. There's no real title in there. And I would argue that what you're doing, what everyone's doing is actually the guerrilla work. It's It's the out there and bringing in the activism that's changing the world in a positive way. Because pre-crypto, when you had investors on your cap table, you'd look at, okay, one or two of them are the active ones. These are the ones that are going to be yeah. involved. These are the ones, and they man- almost like are active or involved on behalf yeah. of everyone else. Other investors said, yeah. oh, as long as John is, is, is you know on the board meetings and we're good. But when you have 69 investors in crypto, you know that they are investing for a very specific mandate and thesis, and they're all involved, yeah. whether it's climate change or changing the world or the orange wave of the new crypto voting block that we're going to have in, in the next elections. Like, Globe, I mean, you yeah. have a political background too, so it's like, I don't see that. I, I'm very radically the opposite, to be honest. Uh-huh. And I believe that yeah. you need more VC growth and VC capital because how are you going to get us through the bear markets? Yeah, you know, I think, you know, when, I guess, the way that I'm thinking of it is more in terms of a uh, global footprint. So we, you know, we're working with uh, some great investors in Asia, great VCs in Asia, like Tashki, uh, Finbushi, uh, and others. And, yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's the same, uh, you know, economist, activist type mindset that you're talking about, but uh, just kind of outside the circle of, of kind of classic U.S. crypto crypto funds. So, yeah, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on outside the U.S., and that's kind of where we focus. But it's the same, it is the same mindset. So you have these huge platforms that CoinList is kind of acting as a as a backbone uh, for all different types of services. You have on the user end, you have the ability for for these new platforms. When you know, as their main nets are launching, you have huge ones like everyone's uh, working on Solana these days, and everyone's working on. Uh, uh, you have Dapper and all these different Filecoin. We just actually had Protocol Labs. We released an episode today with nice. Protocol Labs actually uh, talking about IPFS and and is is that awesome. the uh, you know is that what we're going to be using? Is that what we're going to be building like video and content technology on top of in the Web three? You know the pros and cons versus that. So you have all of these ecosystems, right? And you guys act yeah. as this backbone. You need to continue growing to service that. You're also helping all the platforms themselves. Um, did you kind of foresee this is what the business model would be kind of now? Did you, did you foresee that this is what uh coinless what ended up being? I, I mean, I wouldn't, I, I personally didn't really foresee in, in, in 10 years on from the creation of Bitcoin that you'd have so many different blockchains, protocols, platforms with so many users and inter- interoperability is the thing. Like I was playing around with a decentralized data cloud this morning and it says right there, you know, interoperable with most major blockchains. What does that even mean? What's most major blockchain? It's like now in a most major movie theaters, you know? <laughs> uh, it's, yeah, it's been, it's crazy. 
and you know we didn't foresee uh so many things uh certainly not at the industry level and in a lot of ways not at the coinless level either um you know i think the way that the way that i think about it and this goes way back to angelist days you know we uh coinless spun out of a company called angelist um Charlie, i guess i think you're familiar with it yeah um it's a platform for helping startups raise capital and recruit and a bunch of other things and um you know going back to angelist days the thing that we really cared about is trying to accelerate the advancement of technology and you know the best way that we know how to do that uh and this goes back to the philosophy of Naval Ravikant Babak Nivi and how they think about things founders of angelist uh is you know the way that you really accelerate the advancement of technology is to find those new emerging projects teams companies that are really going to push the space forward whether it's crypto or any other space and um that's that's kind of what we focused on and you know in thinking about the future and how things evolve and not being able to foresee what coinless is doing or has done that's really still been very much at the core is just finding those best new emerging teams uh and empowering them to be successful in a bunch of different ways and the ways that we help these teams definitely has evolved and couldn't really predict um you know the first we thought we were just going to be running us accredited investor public sales yeah. like what we did with filecoin uh the market's totally shifted it's kind of a bunch of different directions uh we're doing a lot a lot of other things as well now it just didn't predict that but that's still that focus on finding those best new emerging teams that are really going to become the next you know Solana and and what have you uh that's still very much at at the core and and that's I just don't think that's ever going to change. I mean, that's what I that's what I care about. That's what I get up every morning. That's why I'm here right now talking yeah. to you. Is that that's what I care about and uh I don't think that's going to change. Between China, the US, India and some other countries, the end of 2021 and 2022, there's a lot of like regulatory uncertainty. There's always been regulatory uncertainty. Let's be real here. Forever. Yeah. There, when has sure. there ever been certainty? But there's there's extra uh especially with the SEC, it's like where we're going. You guys have been able to navigate that really well because Coinlist launched, like you said, it spun out of, of AngelList when, when, and you had to kind of follow the same, you know, you had, you knew, you guys knew which rules to follow, how to be better compliant because you were coming from already an industry that dealt with securities and stocks and capital and fundraising. So you were yeah. able to navigate that and follow that wave really well. What advice would you have for my listeners? Because- all my listeners uh, are founding their own platforms. They're founding regulated companies. They're doing CFI. Uh, they're doing DeFi. They're just buying and selling Bitcoin, but they're worried about things like that uh, as it relates to like, oh, am I going to spend all this money to start my business and then the law is going to change or there's going to be some some crazy regulation that's gonna it's not going to affect my my business to be able to run the right way. Uh, that's a man. That's a tough one. I, I think I can't. I can't tell other people what to do i can tell you what we sure. do and and that's that's very much just focus on um collaborating with like-minded folks um from a regulatory standpoint or from a governmental standpoint uh you know we've been as i mentioned before like we got our start by focusing on us accredited and running um you chose the hardest yeah, I mean, you know, we tackled a lot of that stuff in Angelist, you know, like we uh, in 2012, 
uh, we realized that what we're doing at AngelList may actually not be um, completely above board. We didn't quite know about it. There was something called the general solicitation ban, where as a as somebody as an entrepreneur in the U.S., you weren't was not appropriate slash legal to uh, communicate to a broad community of humans that you didn't know that you were raising capital. That was that was illegal to do. Yeah. And uh, and so we we ended up uh, thinking that you know we we had this philosophy around the democratization of fundraising and investing. You know we want a broader community of entrepreneurs, a broader community of investors participating in what seemed to be kind of a niche industry or a backdoor industry closed from from so many other folks that that could be contributing. And uh, so we kind of found you know, like-minded individuals, like-minded uh, folks on the regulator side uh, in Congress who were trying to work on changing this uh, through something that ended up being called the Jobs Act. Yeah. Uh, we helped uh, sort of collaborate in the development of that and uh, built support within the broader investor community around that. And That was under Obama, uh, right? That, the Jobs Act was one of the first real like modern day laws that changed how startups and entrepreneurs can do business. It like reminded young people like myself at the time that America is still like an entrepreneur. Well, the world is still like an entrepreneurial society. And the U.S. for sure, you know. And, uh, you know, the genius of the Jobs Act actually was that it was called the Jobs Act. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, who was going to say no to the Jobs Act? Um, and so, Congress you know. Congress loves acronyms. I, that's right. I mean, it's part of the problem with some of the stuff that's going on now is that you know, the proposals that are being made, uh, which, you know, a lot of these we, we definitely support, uh, you know, we're, sure, we're doing the same thing that we did during the Jobs Act period, uh, where we're, we're trying to work with regulators, work with uh, Congress people to try to move things forward. But the gap is, is in the marketing, you know, they're coming up with uh, yeah. names for it. It's like the Clarity for Digital Tokens Act or something. Like that. That's the, and which we wholeheartedly support. Just the marketing is a little bit off, you know. You probably want to call it something like the uh, the innovation for the future act or something like that. Well, I asked someone. But, uh, I asked someone what they thought of the Build Back Better plan. I said, "What did you think of the BBB?" And they said, "I don't want to bring back the Better Business Bureau." I said, "It's not. There was never yeah, a federal bureau from the beginning." Yeah, great, great example. Um, so yeah, I mean, marketing matters, you know. So for better or worse, and memes matter, right? So we we know that. So. Uh, yeah, anyway, so part, part of the advice, I think, is, um, you know, focus on doing the right thing, you know, primarily, and try to protect, if you're on the platform side, if you're on the protocol side, you got to try to work out how to protect your investors, like make sure you're doing the right thing by them, and um, try to work with like-minded people, try to not work with folks that are going to push against you. I mean, you know, what's really interesting, actually... Right now, I mean, just thinking about you and, and kind of the, the experience that you've had, the journey that you've been on is, um, you know, going back to the global financial crisis, right? I mean, there were so many politicians back then or emerging politicians who were like rallying against centralized finance and too big to fail. And I'm not going to name names. And, sure. uh, you know, they, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, they were like, uh, you know, came from the same mother as Satoshi, you know, philosophically, right? Yeah. It's like we, or yourself, you know? And, uh, you know, I think, you know, what's happened to those folks is that they've kind of lost sight of, uh, I mean, maybe they never really believed in what they were no, talking about right. back then. 
And, uh, you know, now they're kind of on the other side and they don't really recognize the, the set of technologies was created to, to try to uh, you know, address the, the problems of centralized finance too big to fail. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a little bit ironic. I mean, I think if they are actually honest and curious, then they would realize that the technologies that they're rallying against are actually have the same spirit, the same goals, the same principles that they had back during that global financial crisis time. Uh, but maybe they didn't have them then. I mean, you talk about the advent, the invention of Bitcoin and the creation of that, that those years, I mean, that was 2009. You were in the midst of the financial crisis, yep. 2010, 2011. There was, there was no, I mean, you can't question Satoshi's motives there. Uh, why this was created. Yeah. You have centralized finance pre, and then now you have post-decentralized finance. Um, but we do look at it, unfortunately, sometimes with too much of like an American lens. You know, you, you're you Australian and and you're, uh, you, you have like a great Bostonian accent, Australian accent. So <laughs> you're well-traveled. You understand p politics in a lot of different places. Uh, you work with, you know, you talk about CoinList, actually. The, the growth is outside of the U.S. I'm very proud that this podcast, yeah. too, is less than 50% U.S. listenership. I'm very proud of that. I always want to make nice. sure it's more than 50% because Bitcoin and crypto is a, is a global phenomenon, a global project. You deal with people in Eastern Europe, Turkey, Russia. There's, like, so yeah. much going on. And we look at, we look at it through, and I see, like, I see, like, Wall Street journalist, economist on Twitter. It's like, oh, Bitcoin is stupid because blah, blah, blah. But then I go and I look at what happened in Turkey. And it's like, I know a, I have a lot of Turkish friends who have savings and bank accounts. And it's, and it's like, it's insane to see a first world country where all of a sudden, like 10, 20, 30% of your savings is just immediately wiped out. And then you have the government coming in and saying, oh, well, we're going to, you know, bank, we're just going to give you a, we're going to insure your bank deposits. But, you know, you have fiscal uh, your fiscal policy without monetary policy. It's just a whole fugazi. The monetary policy and economic policy is being run through levers now by, by people who shouldn't be running them. And it's, it's accelerating in a, at a worse state because of coronavirus. And a lot of people are getting hurt. And even Americans here were getting hurt by inflation. Inflation, uh, all these different things, a lot of them are experiments. But we act and we talk as if we know what we're doing. This uh, right. I mean, it's uh, you know, who's going to vote for you if you're talking like you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. So, you know, it's uh, uh, I don't know. I, I I think there's there's a definitely on the on the financial side, on the monetary policy side, there's uh, there's a, a ton of um, vested interests, existing power structures, um, centralized companies that uh, you know the spending a lot of spending a lot of money on lobbying. Uh, yeah. You know, that money is not being invested for no reason. That money is being invested for good reason. And, uh, you know, as, uh, as a lot of politicians uh, you heard them say, it's like, you got to dance with them that brung you. And, uh, you know, that lobbying money, the, 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 that money ends up get, getting put to use in some way. So, yeah, um, yeah. and we've got, we've got a, a great alternative here. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a, you know, binary situation you know i think these two systems can can coexist uh maybe you think otherwise but uh i mean i think having an alternative system an alternative monetary system i think it, it keeps it, it forces some level of honesty with 
the alternative, the existing, the incumbent. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the political party that I was working with in Australia a long time ago was kind of a, it was almost like the Greens way back. And uh, their slogan was, uh, was keep the bastards honest. Yeah, and, that's great. Because um, they were the, the two large political parties in Australia, and this is sort of like the, the third party. And, you know, I think in a lot of ways, that's the potential for, for this technology, you know, is to, to keep uh, those large financial institutions, systems, uh, to keep them honest. And, Provide an alternative uh, to their systems. 100%. Yeah, keep them honest. Totally. Have integrity. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think that's a big part of the reason why there's so much, obviously, it's a big part of the reason why there's just so much uh, friction. Uh, with respect to the kind of progress and, and innovation and advancement that's going on in our industry, and uh, from a from a regulatory standpoint, so um, yeah, I don't know. We'll get there. Though I mean, there's there's definitely lots of like-minded people within within Congress and within large institutions, and I don't want to paint a picture like it's no, kind of, of course. a supposed to same thing. I think I think it's 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 very nuanced. It's very complicated, and you know, I, I feel pretty optimistic. You know, there there are lots of supportive people with respect to what we're doing as an industry in Congress and uh, in banks and, and elsewhere. And, uh, you know, we, we've got good relationships with folks across the board. So um, feel optimistic in, in the long term. The arc of history, the arc of history bends toward justice slash crypto. Yeah. So. You guys are bringing them in. You're like, you talk about the investors and politics and pension funds. That's it's all needs education. It all needs constant yeah. attention so you guys are doing that like kind of guerrilla guerrilla marketing and bringing everyone in uh i mean we talk about politics and the crossover political action committees keeping people honest with integrity i mean if someone came to you with like a pack dow uh would, would could coinlist kind of support something like that as a platform i mean how would that work let's let's play around a little bit here what would like a a political yeah. action committee DAO kind of look like. Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, the, the kind of services that Coinless provide might might be somewhat um, restricted in terms of what we could do with the DAO right now. Not not from a regulatory standpoint, just from a functionality standpoint. Um, but uh, oh man, I mean, look at what happened with Constitution DAO recently. You know, I mean, the ability to to get a group of people rallied around a very specific singular cause. And to to get uh, the kind of financial support that got allocated to that group, um, and uh, you know to go forward with the, with their vision, um, I tell you that was that feels like a, a turning point in terms of recognition of the power of what DAOs can do, and uh, you know DAOs that are, that operate like a pack. I mean that could be that could be amazing. I mean isn't, actually isn't that already happening? There are a few doing that, that are doing yeah. There are a few that are doing things like that. Um, because yeah. I see also like a lot of politics comes down to like, even you have political action committees and you have, uh, different voting blocks and different charities that kind of have the ability to get candidates and lobbying firms. And at the end of the day, it's power through money. So money over history has become this like measuring stick for all humanity that we live on this earth, especially the last hundred years. It used to not be like, we look back, money was just like for survival. Some people, yes, had wealth, but most people were, they had different priorities for life and money was just a means to get there. You actually travel to a lot of places in Europe and you see that today. People kind of like work to live. 
where I was brought up where yeah. it's like you live to work and work is the only fulfillment. I challenge people actually to go out there and try to seek fulfillment purpose that has nothing to do with work. I, you know, when I got stumped, uh, I worked for a company and my boss came over to me and he's like, Charlie, other than sports, family, or your work, what do you know a lot of things about? And I was like, shit, I know too much about Bitcoin. But, <laughs> but no, you gotta, you gotta kind of expand your horizons. I would love to see that. But do you think that's, you think potentially like what you said, bringing all that voting block together is what scares potential powers that be because now we're all rallying around like a single cause and we have the ability in a decentralized way without money being that measuring stick now, because, you know, in DAOs, it could be like one person, one vote. Uh, you don't have the ability yeah. to have like graft corruption, money conflating it. Like you remove all yeah. that. You remove the trust deficit. You know, it's interesting uh, just on that point and thinking about Constitution DAO, didn't the, the founder of Citadel come in and swoop over the top of Constitution DAO and, and yeah. buy <laughs> so, I mean, that's kind of like a classic example of what you're talking about. It's like, hey, we can't we can't let these crypto crazies buy this thing. I got I got to do I got to step up for my boys and buy this thing. You know, so that was kind of interesting. But um, but you know what? I, I, I do have to say, I think we've got a lot of work to do and we're going to get there. We've got a lot of work to do in crypto communities with respect to the same issue. You know, if you think about governance for. Uh, you know any protocol that that, uh, that you know, operates under under a, a governance system. A, lo a lot of these systems are, are driven by or voting within these governance systems uh, are driven by or weighted by the number of tokens that you hold. And so, if you're a you know crypto fund or if you're founder of uh, of the protocol, you're going to hold a large proportion of tokens for that protocol relative to individuals or developers or what have you. And so, you know, if you take a look at any kind of governance vote, you'll tend to see the same uh, folks at the top in terms of um, who's voting for or against whatever proposal is out there. Um, and those, you know, proposals are heavily weighted sure. by the same folks that are holding the same, you know, large chunks of tokens in these protocols. And so I think we've got a lot of work to do in crypto to try to address the same Yeah, yeah, thing. I agree. And so um, my, my like, non-radical like i'll try to always present the middle of the road and so one other side that i would say yeah bitcoin is the only decentralized network maybe one or two other ones launch with very because this decentralization is a is a spectrum and a it's a path to absolutely like seeking the enlightenment and buddhism but the one thing out there the sec actually had something really cool a few years ago i know it's kind of funny to say but they had a they were very smart when they said that projects take time to become fully decentralized. You remember they were like potentially going to give projects like three years or two yeah. years. Yeah. And that really made me sit back and think for a little bit. I'm going to say, you know, I could see how projects could become where they hit. There's like a watershed moment of decentralization where the centralized parties yeah. can't control the network anymore unless they take the whole thing down with them. And that's the economic right. incentive, right? Like 51%, yeah. 51% of Bitcoin hash rate can come together to change Bitcoin, but then the integrity of the system would fail and the whole thing would collapse. Full decentralization, in my view, is when a project reaches that point. It, when it reaches a point where you have enough token holders, you have enough decentralization when it comes to distribution, voting, voting turnout. Like you said, like most of these projects don't have enough voting turnout. 
but it's a time. So w- let's talk about that. Like, how long do you think? Some people will say there's you have to add, attach years to it. I like to attach this score kind of call I call token investor loyalty, TIL. And it's not a real thing. It's I made it up a few years ago, and it's like how I score things in my head. And it actually, it's like how many years do you go through bull and bear markets too? That is a huge effect. Yeah, it's, uh, I think part of the way that we think about it, and we've got a program at CoinList um, that was designed with this issue in mind, uh, which is that it, the way that we think about it is that you're, your weighting, your importance, your TIL is it's weighted by a bunch of different attributes. You know, if you think about um, any crypto protocol, uh, it takes a lot of different parties, a lot of different contributions, a lot of different types of contributions to help that protocol be successful, to help it be decentralized. It takes developers, it takes, it takes miners or validators, it takes you know stakers in in a proof of stake context. Uh, it takes a lot of different parties. It takes folks that are willing to hold assets, like you said, through through a winter. And um, so we've got a program at Coinless that, uh, you know, I, I don't know how much how much context you have on uh, the nature of token sales right now, but token sales is so heavily oversubscribed. And we, we ran a sale Ew. last week. We had 950,000 users in you know, register for the sale there were 20,000 spots available. So these, these offerings are just so heavily oversubscribed, even though we're blocking US, blocking China. Uh, you know, There's a, a global community out there that's like ferociously hungry to participate in these offerings. And uh, you know, that creates a problem for us you know, because you know, we, want, we want to ensure that these teams get high quality participants, high quality contributors to their protocol uh, because they're going to be launching when they launch they're going to launch with those 20,000 folks holding their token. You want those folks to really be. Ah, so it's not dumb folks. money anymore. So the, uh, the 2017 ICO dumb money type thing, you're saying it's different now because it's so much more. We've reached a point where there's more demand than there is supply of good projects. And you guys don't launch 15 projects a day. It's like one a month. And you have to give a due diligence process, probably less than that. I don't even know. Yeah. Yeah. It varies. You know, some months, zero, some months two, three. And, uh, you know, right now we're kind of averaging around about two a month and yeah, it's not like open sea or it's not like a big marketplace <laughs> where we've just got thousands of these things. Right. So, uh, we try to be very selective. We keep a high bar. And so, uh, and we've, you know, helped get great results for folks that are participating in these offerings. So as a result, so, um, so yeah, so part of the way that we try to do that is we, uh, we create the opportunity for those folks that, through this program that we call Karma, where we identify the contributions to different projects across mining, staking, developing, you know, running validators, long-term token holders, as you said, sort of the TIL types. And uh, we give those folks access to uh, you know, uh, what we call the priority queue, oh, which just yeah, dramatically increases their chances. On CoinList now. No yeah, what? I noticed that. Very cool. Yeah, so we, um, so we end up... Uh, you know, prioritizing folks that have a high comma score and uh you know it's a, it's still a pretty new program so we're ironing out a lot of the what are the kinks it's definitely not perfect but uh, you know i don't want to continue to um you know i i don't want to continue to reward the folks that already hold all the tokens uh and i don't want to just you know throw in a bunch of you know random folks that are likely to just dump uh you know sort of the dumb money as you said 
And uh, what we want to try to do, like our goal is to try to get a high quality community, uh, build a high quality community for these projects so they can be successful. And uh, so Common helps us get there. Priority Q helps us get there. Uh, there's probably better ways to do it, but that's, uh, that's one of the ways that we're experimenting with right now. It seems to be doing pretty well. We're all used to investing in different types of cryptos, and we know that you can buy as little as $1 worth of any coin or token, but you can't do the same thing with stocks, bonds, and ETFs and all those other like traditional assets. And then if you can, you can't do it all in the same place. Our newest sponsor, public.com, is a super awesome community where they take your, priv your privacy seriously, and you can get in there and trade slices of crypto, Bitcoin, all different coins and tokens, and also stocks bonds, ETFs, equities, and it's all done in the same place. What I love about it is that you have all these different investors you can connect with, with all walks of life, life, gain confidence, ask questions, get the big picture with curated themes, talk to everyone, but they don't get involved in the order flow. They're not selling your data to all these other middlemen. And we got a very good special for you, my listeners today. If you go to public.com forward slash untold stories and you start investing with $1, they're going to give you up to $50 in a free stock, a slice of a stock. That's all you got to do. Download the app, $1, you get 50 bucks worth. Public.com forward slash untold stories, valid for U.S. residents, 18 plus only, subject to account approval. And make sure you check out public.com forward slash disclosures. There's no investment advice here. These guys have been doing and amalgamating all of these different types of community, stock, bonds, ETFs, cryptos all together. Make sure you check it all out, public.com forward slash untold stories. Do you know what's interesting too? I noticed that because you're servicing so many uh, countries and continents and different projects and everyone, uh, traditionally, um, when you're talking about financial services, it was very like English dominated and people would have to learn English. But I bet you guys have support. You have support. You have different chat rooms and networks where you have communities in multiple languages from like, Vietnamese to, to Mandarin to, 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 to Spanish, you know, everything. Uh, and that was traditionally never something you really needed. I'm assuming, and this is not part of my research, that you probably have offices and base stations in different parts of the world where you can service because it's not just about language, it's about context. People in, in Russia invest differently than folks from Argentina. Yeah, we, you know, a big part of the reason why we, um, raise capital the way that we did uh, was was to make those relationships with uh, investors, with VCs, with firms in the locations where we're growing the fastest so we can plan out how we're potentially going to expand in those regions and, and get a presence. Uh, so we're not quite there yet. We're sort of growing into it. Uh, but but we do have a global footprint in terms of our support team. Uh, yeah, our support team is absolutely uh, awesome group of people. They're getting crushed. Right now, you know, we kind of just had such dramatic growth this year. Um, you know, we went from 150,000 monthly actives at the end of last year. We just touched 5 million monthly actives last week. And so just the kind of growth that we've seen has been insane. So, uh, so the support team scaling up. But yeah, we got folks all over the globe now, thanks to uh, Natalie Finai, who runs the support team. She's awesome. That's and uh, yeah, so we got folks in. Russia, we could speak Russian. Actually, we've got somebody in, in Moscow. We've got uh, you know folks, somebody in Turkey. We got folks in the Philippines. We got folks in Southeast Asia. We got folks all over the place now. So uh, we've got an Australian who can sort of translate into Australian English as well. 
So, uh, so yeah, we've got, we've got them everywhere. So, um, but yeah, and I think eventually we'll, we'll, uh, whether it's get offices set up in those locations or, or, or something, uh, you know, we're still trying yeah. to continue what that strategy is, but yeah, it's a global footprint and yeah, who'd have thunk it? I mean, we, like we were saying earlier, like we started this whole thing thinking U S market, how do we get, you know, how the, how do we allow a team like protocol labs to compliantly raise capital amongst us investors? Um, that was four years ago. It's completely, it's completely changed. Oh, my the, the whole, the whole space has changed. It's, by the way, it's also less about raising money now because money is it's it's like a commodity, right? And it can it's very easy to raise. If you can't raise money, there's actually a problem. And um, and so the issue now is community. It's how do I get something that you know as as great as the crypto firms are that I work with, they can't bring me community. How do I get a community of people? And uh, so most of the teams we work with don't. They're not raising massive amounts of capital. They've already raised their, uh, you know, 420 million or whatever. And so now they're, they're focused more on how do I get 10, 20, 50,000 people holding my tokens when I launch. And so that that's completely shifted. And then it's all non-US. It's non-US, non-China. And we talk about so that it's, path it's, to decentralization too. Uh, yeah. The path to decentralization right. requires as many people as possible holding that token. And like you said, a lot of times exactly. the smart money is that money that's outside of the U.S. because they're doing the they're not just throwing yeah. stupid money around that they have from stimulus checks or whatever. No offense to all of us, but um, they're doing a lot more due diligence. They're looking into this. These is their this is their livelihoods. These are people who go out and work and, and earn an income and they save a few thousand dollars a year to be able to invest two thousand into a project or speculate or buy a utility token or buy an NFT or you know, try to be involved in a different protocol in a different way in stake. This is like the way that people are bringing themselves out of poverty. And that's why what we're doing is so important. It's not just about like throwing stupid money around for people. Um, yeah, and there's such a hunger outside of the US for access to global financial markets and opportunity. And um, you know, with that hunger comes you know, a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of willingness to contribute and uh, you know, don't get me wrong. There's still, you know, of course, of still course. a lot of, you know, DJs or whatever DJs in the negative sense. And it's uh, a lot of, there's a lot of uh, folks that just want to you know, quickly, you know, dump tokens and everything else. But, uh, but there's still uh, at the same time, uh, a lot, a lot of hunger to get access to, mm. uh, you know, the, the, the great opportunities of, of uh, positive global finance. I have to talk about this a lot because, you know, we're living in this coronavirus world where like your probably friends and family have been in lockdown for over two years in Australia, haven't even left their, their neighborhoods potentially. Yeah. I haven't seen them um, in a long time. Yeah. I was so hoping the, to go back this, this uh, Christmas, this holiday season, but uh, yeah, it's not happening. So yeah. I'm sorry. It's all good. Yeah. No, it's a really sad thing to not be able to be with family during, during holidays. I know what that's like. Um, yeah. You have this, you know, we going back to that Jobs Act for a second. Part of that year, I think it was like 2016. I don't remember exactly the year. 2015, 2016, whatever. I think it was 2012. 2012. Oh my God, I was like maybe in college. or 2013. It was back there. Those years were the years where like the world was globalizing at a fast rate. The Jobs Act also was was pushing towards like the growth of uh, Indiegogo and Kickstarter, so you can have the global population be able to 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 invest in yeah. american production or production other places and things like that um 
I loved that world. That world was filled with TV commercials of traveling here and traveling there. And we really, I felt for the first time in, in, and I start, I'm a student of history, for the first time in history that the world, maybe borders were going away. Maybe things were like moving towards where it didn't matter where you were from, who you were. And Bitcoin only like further advanced that. Do you, is that. Is that receding because of coronavirus? Will we be able to get back to that? And you, do, you work with a, a huge team all over the world. And part of the reason I talk about the world is because we forget that the world exists. We're so engulfed in our, where we live now in our states and our local communities. We forget that there's a whole world out there of people that aren't the governments that control them. You know, coronavirus, I think, represented a great opportunity to, to do, the, do the opposite, to, like, to bring everybody together, to collaborate, to get through this together, you know? And uh, I don't want to sound too hippie or no, I like or, uh, that way of looking at it. You know, but and, and I think that that has happened in some in some parts of it. it's just not what we read about in the news all the time. But you know, you've got scientists collaborating globally in ways they hadn't really before, and uh, you know that's uh, medical professionals doing the same. And and I think um, you know obviously what we hear about. Um, is uh, our lockdowns and uh, yeah, we and basically invented the else. antiviral in the past few years. Like we never had in the history of the world the ability. Like if you had a virus, okay, good luck. You remember when you were kids, guys? You you never antivirals, never antibiotics existed, but not antivirals. It's like in a, yeah. an mRNA vaccines. Like it's Incredible. immense what we've done in the past few years. Yeah, yeah. So I think in some ways it, it's it's like coronavirus has like gelled. A global community closer together, um, but it, not in the more visible yeah. aspects of day to day, you know, politics and uh, governments and such. Which uh, I don't know. I mean, we'll get there eventually, but you know, it's just not it's not the right time. So, um, but you know, I don't know. I mean, it's uh, yeah. You know, there's, a, there's a great opportunity with crypto to to also do this, exactly the same thing and. and and that's definitely what we're seeing. You know, what you we're seeing is ahead of that curve, though, because your business model was built around FTs, fungible tokens. Someone, you know, a project launches, a, there's a billion, 10 billion, and then you're working on servicing each individual token, but with a heavy focus on fungibility. One, the token shouldn't, the, the understanding, especially with Bitcoin in the early days, was the coin or the token should never. Uh, the holder of that should never affect the token itself. The token itself or the coin becomes a vehicle where it's like there's no, when it goes from one person to another, just like cash. So now you have this radical opposite world where you're dealing with non-fungible tokens, where it's like the complete opposite. I mean, do you, how are you going to integrate this with the business model? What are you guys going to do? What the hell are NFTs? Like, I, 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 I still, I, I know, and I guess it's more of like a large question, but it's like, I'm st I'm still trying to figure. I was sitting across with my fun partner the other day, and we're like sitting here trying to figure out how can we honestly, honestly explain to someone and understand what the future is of these things if we can't understand where it is. It's so exploratory right now. Super exploratory. Uh, you know, where uh, it's it's definitely a, a little bit um, outside of the scope of what it is the. Our, what our mission is, yeah. you know, NFTs. But I mean, what what I would say though is that um, a lot of the projects that we work with offer or have a platform that involves 
offering NFTs and ma- mainly in the gaming space. And That's so, really uh, you know, some of the projects we work with, they have a, a gaming, it's essentially a gaming protocol or gaming platform that uh, will have lots of different aspects of that platform. It's, it's a marketplace. It'll be a gamer's hub. It'll be like a, a layer two on Ethereum. It'll have its own kind of economy, obviously. Uh, and an aspect of that is, you know, the selling NFTs. NFTs represent some kind of asset within games within their ecosystem. And so, so that ends up kind of being the way that we yeah. participate in that space a little bit. Uh, but what are NFTs? I mean, there's a lot of different ways to look at yeah. it. I mean, what I, I didn't really get it until I think this year, what clicked for me is that I noticed that NFT, NFTs are really, there's an aspect of flexing for sure. I own this. Nobody else can own this thing. It's, it's with me. But the, the other aspect of, of NFTs that's really become interesting is that, uh, and I was just talking about this yesterday, is, is that these things are kind of keys into a community. It's a, it's a, a pass to say, okay, I belong in this community. I've got the NFT. And now I'm able to participate oh. in conversation. I can, I can engage with peers who have the same kind of asset. And, um, and lots of things get shared there. Things like, you know, uh, you know, conversation about what kind of investments they're making, alpha, all kinds of you know, new initiatives. And so um, that's something that I didn't quite grok. I was thinking too much about the asset. Initially, so at the start of this year, I was thinking, I mean, these NFTs are just going to be way overblown. These things aren't going to go anywhere. What I missed is this community dimension to say that I'm, I'm part of this tribe and this tribe, can't, this tribe has a certain set of values. It's got a certain kind of moxie. It's got a certain attitude. It's got a certain brand. And I'm absorbing that into my brand. And, uh, and so that's something I didn't quite understand until partway through this year. And, um, you know, I think that that's that's why these things are going to continue to thrive. You know, um, and we're we're just we're just at the start of, of this whole process still. Even though NFTs have been out there since I don't know pre Crypto Kitties, but um, but I, th- I think uh, this community dimension of NFTs I think is is going to be the thing that really powers it going forward. It seems like the community has always been that weave through, and those projects yeah. and and. Uh, platforms and everything that really cares for their community and keeps their community unique are the ones that have been very successful over time. And I just kind of want to leave you off with, with a question that I was kind of thinking about as we were talking is um, we talk about fast, you know, smart money and dumb money. Do you think that, do you think that a lot of people are investing in some of these newer, newer like layer ones like Polkadot and Algorand and et cetera, et cetera, because they feel like they've missed out on, you know, ones like Ethereum and Bitcoin? Or is that kind of like a narrative that the media portrays that's kind of stupid? I mean, there are so many people that are participating in these offerings that you could come up with any scenario and that scenario yeah. is probably correct. Yeah. But. I think there's, there's probably a larger proportion than we know of folks who are participating in these offerings uh, because they were early Bitcoin OGs or because they were they ah, participated in yeah, the Ethereum ICO. Yeah. And we we have, again, not naming names, but no, we've definitely right. seen that. So mm-hmm. we there's a lot of folks in the platform who you read about in Bitcoin history books who are participating in these in these offerings and um 
but yeah, there's definitely a large community of folks that. Yeah, that I was an new. early investor in a project that you guys supported, Casper. Um, if you look yeah. at if you look at uh, Polkadot, so there's hold on, I'll tell you right now. There's like so there's like three blockchains or four blockchains that were founded by the founders of Ethereum. So you look at Charles Hodgkinson of Cardano. You have the guys who did Casper. You have the guys who do Polkadot, Gavin Wood. That's three right there. So, I mean, come on. <laughs> three of the top 10 were founded by the guys who's, the guys and the girls who did the top, the second one. Yeah. So it, it perfectly explains your point. It's not, this is not a one and done crowd. No. And uh, I mean, these are innovators. Right? These are people that want to push the boundaries. They've got a certain perspective on sure. where the space should go. And they're going to try things out. And uh, that's how the soul space is going to move forward, man. I mean, it, we just need lots of smart people who are really trying new things, are not afraid to try new things. And, and it is a little bit difficult in this like tribalistic community. There's, there's a lot of uh, you know naysayers. There's a lot of people who you know they have a lot of holdings of a certain asset, and so they're out there shilling that asset, and they're uh, you know saying negative things about it all the other protocols or whatever. there's a lot of that going on, which I think I understand why that's happening, but sure. it definitely slows down innovation because people start to be like, oh, I'm not sure if I'm doing the right thing now. And so, um, but you know, it, it, the, the more, the more of those OGs or even like newer people coming into the space who want to push the boundaries, the better off we're going to be, the, the faster we're going to get to, uh, you know, a decentralized future. And and that's what I'm excited about. And that's what that's why we exist. You know, that's what we're trying to push forward and, and, and accelerate. To a decentralized future. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. Graham Jenkins, thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the last hour and spending it with us here. Early morning, holiday season, craziness, what's going on in the world in a good way, of course. So I appreciate that. And and you you've given us, the listeners and myself so much insight and, and free knowledge. So thank you for that. And I implore everyone to check out CoinList. Uh, once you start using it, you pretty, pretty mo you pretty much won't use anything else for all these types of different services that they offer. Uh, check out the projects, check out how they do due diligence and look at the, the comment. This is a piece of advice I give to people is when you see successful projects or successful people, look at the common denominator, try to gather as much data as you can and see what's common between everything. And it's very easy to figure out. We're not even in the first inning in this whole industry. Happy holidays, my friends and family. I love you all, Graham. Thank you so much. Thank you for everyone for putting it all together. And I'll see everyone next week.